After writing eight number one songs and becoming a hit recording and touring artist, Radney Foster lost his voice and wasn't sure it would ever come back. It did, but not till his creative path forked into several successful rabbit trails he never imagined going down. Join me and Radney as we explore the journey that continues to make him a Texas legend. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. I'm thrilled today to have my old friend Radney Foster as my guest. Here's a quick glimpse at this multi-decade creative machine. (laughs) First of all, he is really a bona fide born and raised Texan. And Radney, yeah. until I really started doing some research on you, I didn't realize how bona fide you were. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know these details about Texan life. All right. As a young touring musician with long hours on the road between tour stops, he became an avid reader of books by authors such as John Steinbeck, Larry McCurdy, and Harper Lee. His reading would influence and inform his writing to come. He was signed as part of the hit-making duo Foster and Lloyd, which of course is how I know you, and then as a solo artist. Radney's also a veteran music producer. In 2015, Radney developed a severe case of pneumonia and laryngitis and was put on six weeks of vocal constraint. This roadblock to his singing, which of course you thought was the end of the world, channeled, <laughs> channeled his creative juices into writing a short story which became the genesis of his latest endeavor, For You to See the Stars. This beautiful thing is a two-part project, a book of short stories and a CD of songs, which correlate to the stories, and both the book and CD can be enjoyed separately. So far, Radney has written eight, count them eight, number one singles and scores of other songs recorded by artists including Keith Urban, The Dixie Chicks, Luke Bryan, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Mark Broussard, Hootie and the Blowfish, Kenny Loggins, and the Los Lonely Boys. Radney's also embraced a new creative art, that of acting. He was cast in the starring role of a musical theater production co-written by Sugarland's Christian Bush and playwright Janice Schaffer called Troubadour, and he also appears in the feature film Beauty Mark. During the 15 months he was off the road during COVID, he worked on several different creative projects, including a screenplay and writing and recording a bachelor pad lounge record with his sons. Oh my gosh, does that sound like a blast? Coming up, 2022 will be the 30th anniversary of Del Rio, Texas, 1959. And he was born after that, so, you know, he's not that old. <laughs> but that was Radney's solo debut. He'll be doing an anniversary tour with surprises in store. That makes me very curious. Ah, all right, Radney, welcome to All Things Vocal, and thank you so much for talking with me for all these people in this village. Hey, thank you for having me, and also, uh, this audience needs to know how much, you know, we've been friends a long, long time, but the scary six weeks that I had putting my voice back together after that, Judy Rodman is who <laughs> helped me do it, and I never could have done it without you. Such... Um, Ready, thank you. It was such a confidence killer. You know, yeah. it was such a mental minefield because you you can't go just from not 
not talking at all for six weeks to all of a sudden singing. You just no. can't do it. Mm-mm. It's just impossible. No. They're muscles. They yeah, atrophy. there are muscles. They atrophy. Use them or lose them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> but isn't it so funny how sometimes these roadblocks that feel like the concrete brick wall that says the end are actually turning points? Yeah, I, I think that every time I've had what I thought was a huge roadblock in my career, you know, I was almost in a lawsuit with my music publisher when I left Foster and Lloyd they held me in suspension and would not pay me until RCA made a decision on whether they wanted to sign me as a solo act. And so, you know, all of that indecision almost cost me my house. But it made me go dig in and, you know, I went out on the road with Mary Chapin Carpenter and with Vince Gill Mm -hmm. for like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a night. Wow. (laughs) Rode the bus with them and played you know, songs with me and my guitar. And the realization was that, you know, when I was playing a new song, there wasn't a band behind you. It wasn't a duo. It wasn't had to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. It's got to stand on its own. And it really, really made me dig in even deeper into my songwriting. And I, I really became a different writer, you know, than I had been. Yeah. Dave Loggins, who is my songwriting mentor, he told me one time, uh, he kind of busted me when I was writing a little bit more shallowly, shall we say? He mm-hmm. said, you're writing like a spectator. You have to be a participant <laughs> and dig into <laughs> the details. And, great. you know, <laughs> therefore. That is a great, yes. Don't, you got to be a participant. Don't write <laughs> yeah. like a spectator. That's a great way to put it. Yep. All right. Well, let's back up here and talk about why the heck you moved from Texas to Nashville. <laughs> um, I was given permission. You know, <laughs> I went to Swanee first. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to the University of the South, which is an hour and a half south here up on Monteagle Mountain. And so I was playing in a band with all these other college kids, you know, and we were kind of like the nitty gritty dirt band. We would take a country song and we would uh, rock it up and we'd take a rock song and we'd country it up. And, you know, we had a guy who came from Bluegrass World and he played dobro and, and banjo. And then there was a kid who knew nothing about country fiddle whatsoever, but played classical and Irish fiddle. And we basically, you know taught him how to, you know, country it up and, and yeah. listen to a bunch of records and try to mimic them. And so we were doing covers for the most part, except for I wrote three of the songs uh-huh. that we were playing. An auspicious beginning. This guy kind of came up and he was kind of lit. And he said, hey, who, what band does those other songs? I know all the other songs you guys did, but I don't know those three songs. And so, um, you know, one of the guys said, you can't, you can't get them. Our singer wrote them, you know. And, and uh, he said, man, I don't know, Jack shit about the music business yeah Uh, but i got this buddy who's a i went to college with who's a record producer and i'm like yeah sure you know of course you do you know (laughs) and so i write my phone number down on a matchbook (laughs) you know remember when we used to do that you know write my phone number down to my name in a matchbook and uh handed it to him and it was the payphone at the end of the hall at school (laughs) and so Two weeks later, sure enough, there's text on my door. You know, someone took a message, you know, tacked on my door. It says, call Brown Bannister. And it had a 615 area code. Oh, my goodness. And Brown Bannister had just won a Grammy for the B.J. Thomas comeback record and was producing this new ingenue that every girl at Swanee had um, an Amy Grant record in her, in their dorm, you know, (laughs) who was taking the world by storm. And I was like, that's a real guy, you know. And so he actually listened to 
um, four or five of my songs in my dorm room. And he said, you know, man, you got to have a serious talk with your mom and dad about doing this for a living. Wow. It took one guy giving you permission. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes that's true of lots of things. It is. You know, uh, I just got through with an interview show with my friend Darden Smith, and he started a show called Who Said You Could Do That? (laughs) I love it. I loved it, you know, because that has to do with all these changes and the ups and the downs. And so oftentimes nobody is, but maybe the circumstances give you permission or someone goes, you can do that. Yeah. I'll never forget Brent uh, Mason came up to me at Tower Records when I was in the limbo. And he, you know, just said hello and that kind of stuff. And, and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I just got out from under my RCA contract and uh, I think I'm going to make a solo record. And he said, well, is it going to be a rock or a country record? And I said, oh, a country record. And he said, well, I, the reason I, I said, I, I don't think I could do a rock. And he said, oh, yeah, you could. You're one of the few guys in this world who could do either one. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and, and I thought that was such a nice compliment coming from him. But it mm-hmm. is somebody, you know, sort of giving you permission to do what you dream of. You know? Yes, absolutely. And you want to be told the truth. Oh, yeah. And that's important, too. But the truth is always going to be a positive thing. Because either it means that you don't know enough yet and you need to learn some stuff, or that's not your river to swim in and you need to kind of veer. Uh, Boy, that is just a a really good way of putting it. You know, it's like, it's guys you see that switched sports in high school and all of a sudden became a, you know, an Olympic athlete. (laughs) Or, you know, Jamie O'Hara was a college football player and didn't he bust a knee or something like that and he couldn't play. And so he picked up guitar and started writing songs. (laughs) in Mike Reed as well from from football to to Bonnie Raitt's I can't make you love me if you don't you know uh, yeah I mean you know I I, I want to tell I always want to tell him it's like what what hall of fame are you not in you know know, he's in the you know it's a professional football player he's a hall of famer yeah crazy crazy you know, there's that inner call. I mean, some people will think, well, you're a professional football player or you're a doctor. Why the heck would you want to go into the music business, which, you know, any the business of the arts is never secure. Oh, no. And I think it's because you can't not. Yeah, I think there's a there there has to be this sort of determined inevitability about it. Yeah. All of my kids are all, you know, singing and playing and writing songs. And I I've told all of them, I said, you know, this house you grew up in and my success, it, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, yeah. it, it's, um, it's not I've inevitable. Been very, very fortunate. I was in the mm-hmm. right place at the right time with the right song. Mm-hmm. And I can name you a bunch of really good songwriters who work twice as hard as your dad does and make, you know, less than half the money. Mm-hmm. But they all have careers. If you're willing to work hard enough at it, yeah, you can have a career in this business. It just depends on what kind it's going to be. And that's, Something I've thought about that I wanted to ask you, how do you define artistic success? In the days of American Idol and the competitiveness in the music industry and the ever insecureness of the business of any of the arts, because maybe your public is in your future after you die, kind of like mm-hmm. Van Gogh or, you know, Eva Cassidy. Um, right. What do you call artistic success? I think you have to, it has to be about the work. Yeah, I think I, I think it has to be about the work. It has to be about the songs you've written. It has to be about the way that you communicate vocally. 
and, and that's just as important, really. Willie Nelson always did other songs, but boy, they always sounded like a Willie Nelson song when he yeah. got through with it, right? Mm -hmm. And I was writing one time with Gary Nicholson. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, written a gazillion songs. Oh, yeah. And he, gazillion one of my favorites. Hits, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were writing a song, and, and I sung a line. I said, does that work? He said, speak it to me. He said, I got to think on it. And I said, why? I think it's great. I think it works. I think it's a really, he said, yeah, he said, but you got a record making voice. So there's just a lot of bad lines you could sing, you know, that <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe if you're singing it, but is anybody else going to believe it if somebody else oh, is singing it? Funny. Yeah. You know, but I thought that, and it was a nice compliment, but I, I understood what he meant. It was like, you yeah. know, you know, he was looking to make that line, not just fit, but to really be something. Mm -hmm. And those kind of things, you know, learning from other writers all along the way. And, and even today, you know, I'm, I really was born in 1959 and I'm 62 years old. But I write with a bunch of 30-year-olds these days, mm -hmm. you know. And so <laughs> I, I, I learn a lot from them. <laughs> I learn a ton from them. It's like, wow, yeah. that's a really yeah. different way to skin the cat. You know, yes. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have looked for that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's another thing to do if, if you're in the arts, realizing that, you know, your body of work needs to speak for itself, your successes may be fleeting. You, you may need to have a lot of day gigs, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, writing this book gave me an end to that sort of world. And I've met dozens upon dozens of authors and done all kinds of cool things at uh, retreats and at, you know, speaking tours and all that kind of stuff because of it. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many guys are, you know, a New York Times bestseller as an author. Had two novels on that, you know, audacious chart, so mm -hmm. to speak. And still got a day job. Still teaching at the MFA program at Appalachian State University. Yeah. Still teaching at Ole Miss, you know. Yeah. English literature, that kind of thing. Or works as a copy editor for a software company. I mean, there are all kinds of things. They write amazing novels, you know, mm -hmm. or nonfiction, but they all have another job. You know, most even famous, huge, legendary bands are only on the road. I think it's an average of three years. Right, right. I think even Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones said something about some interview where he said, yeah, it's like play three years and then hang around. <laughs> yeah, course they did you know they, they were one they of hung the, around really the yeah. ones that hung around quite well yeah but um one thing i think that we need to be honest uh, about is the insecurity of the arts tammy Wynette famously kept her beautician's license her up till the day yeah. i think she died yeah. uh <laughs> so it's a good thing to have a day job and sometimes your day job affects your art and sometimes your art affects your day job i mean creativity is creativity so the arts are important, and they're more important than money really speaks to. That's true. Yeah. If you want to make money in the arts, go get a, go get a law degree. <laughs> yeah. Because that's yeah. the only guys who are making any real money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean don't do the art. No, no, no. That's absolutely my point. Is T.G. Shepard told me a great story that he was working as a, a radio plugger for, he was one of the regional radio guys for, I think, RCA. And he was working RCA's records, but he got a record deal over at, over at Warner Brothers. And they didn't know, 
So that's why I got the stage name. <laughs> really? Yeah. So that they wouldn't know that he was singing on a record over at Funny. Warner Brothers. Yeah. And he was like, I just wanted to, you know, he said he loved music so much and he wanted to do it, but he just figured, well, the way I could be close to it is just like, you know, working on the radio. And then that worked into like working with record companies to promote, yeah. you know, songs on the radio. And uh, so many people I know who got their, their start is like, well, what can I do to be near mm -hmm. the music? Do you know, I was on uh, T.G. Shepard's early songs, early hits, singing for Larry Rogers in uh, Memphis. Oh, singing BGVs? On uh, Show Me a Man and some oh, of those wow. other ones, yeah, back then that we that oh, he recorded wow. at Lynn yeah. Lou. Yeah, it goes back pretty far. But you're, you're so right. It's a wonderful way to learn the business. If you really want a career in the arts, you got to do two things extremely well. One, you really need to not be mediocre. You got to be a you got to be great, excellent at what you do at your yeah. at your craft, uh, whether it's singing, playing, performing, recording, all of that. You really need to be excellent. And the other thing you got to be excellent about is current business of the arts. You got to know how to work that. So don't whine. Yes. Get in there and study it. Yeah, absolutely. That you know, I think that's been part of the fun of making this record with my kids has been the ability to sort of shape. My oldest is a really good slide guitar player. I don't think he's got a single guitar in standard tuning. They're all in these crazy tunings. And he has been in really a, a you know a psychedelic country band. And he knew, you know, it's like, look, this is not mainstream. It's going to be yeah. a tougher road to hoe. But as a side project, he started doing all of this electronic music, mm -hmm. EDM, but it's none of the fast stuff. He loves old old school R&B, so he would do all these old school rhythm and blues beats underneath things oh, with cool. all this space age, you know, stuff on top of it. And he he was just putting it up on Bandcamp and on SoundCloud, and he got an email from a guy who's a huge star in that world. And the guy said, hey, I want you to go on at one in the morning after my uh, show at this festival. And you play from oh, one to three, you know, while everybody goes to sleep. And he was like, OK, cool. And they paid him pretty handsomely and put him up at the festival oh, and, and his girlfriend for three days. And he thought he was yeah. just as happy as could be. And he thought, well, that's a cool thing. And never, well, it turned into all of a sudden a thing. You know, he gets calls. He does several festivals every summer as wow. the guy who goes in and, and that's become a significant part of his income. Wow. And so you never know where that's going to come from. And that was the thing with us. You know, all my kids were back home mm -hmm. all of a sudden uh, because of COVID. And so the middle child, his uh, younger brother, is one of those obnoxious musicians who can play every <laughs> single instrument in the room, including trumpet. He's a real good trumpet player. Oh, my goodness. So we were... I don't know, making dinner or something and just talking about, well, what can we do? It's like, well, let's try writing a, something that sounds like it would have been on a Brazil 66 record or, oh, yeah. or, you know, an instrumental track or a Tijuana Brass or Esquivel or, you know, Martin Denny or all those bachelor pad jazz records, really Latin jazz records. So I came up with some chord changes after my younger son literally taught me some forms for you know, we, I want to add these kinds of chords. And it's like, I'm sitting there looking and going, okay, 13th chord. Never played one of those before, but here we go. You know, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to need a minute because it's a stretch, you know. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot of things. They did too. And uh, it's been great fun. And I think the way that it 
we're going to put it out. I, I think the small monetization might be that people would download the thing or buy some vinyl. It's an EP, so we're going to do a vinyl at 10 inch. Mm-hmm. We might make a little money that way. But if I had to think of where it could really make some money, it's like all of the things being instrumentals have got lots of room for soundtrack placement. Exactly. I you was know. just thinking that. You know. Yes. You know, and that's that's not my regular gig. I am yeah. by nature a singer-songwriter. But once again, an Im- impediment making you go, well, I can go over the wall or around it, but I, I'm going to get past that wall mm-hmm. is sort of a different way of thinking, okay, this is a different way of looking at things and, and being creative. And, mm-hmm. and you never know where it's going to go. You never John know and go. my husband and I made one last record in two, 2015. And we wrote it. We'd never written together. We wrote it and produced it. And everything except for one song is something he and I wrote, or actually two songs, one he and I and our son. We we oh. wrote it off of a guitar riff and another one I wrote with a girl from New York. But the rest of it's John and me. But anyway, this song that we wrote with our son off of his guitar lick, because he's always, you know, fiddled around, just fiddled around his whole life and come up with these weird things that I never would have thought of. Well... We cut it, and uh, unbelievably, it made its way, without really much effort on our part, it made its way to Canada to an episode of The Expanse, which is a a sci-fi series, and one of the characters likes old, ancient country music, (laughs) so we we got cast as the ancient country music on that. Oh, it was hilarious, and it paid really well, but the thing is, just do excellent work, right? Right, do good work. Just really do the best work you can do. Well, I want to talk, speaking of excellent work, about your project, For You to See the Stars. I bought the book and the, and, and got the music, and I am loving it. Radney, oh, thank you. I knew you were a great writer, and, and I know that you've been active all this time, but I had no idea you were that good. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. But I don't even know how you knew how to spell some of that stuff. <laughs> I bet you looked it up. <laughs> I think that the, the looking differently because of that six weeks of not being able to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote that first short story, and Cindy, my wife, you know, as you will probably remember, has been a magazine editor and a music journalist for her entire career. S- Cindy, uh huh. She was uh, the head of the country chart and that country editor at Gavin, uh, which was an industry magazine. Wow. Which is how we met. When we first started dating, we had to keep it quiet because she's like, I can't date an artist. This is not, you know, (laughs) it's like, again, she's like, I remember her getting mad mad one time. He goes, I can never write about you. Do you realize this? And I was like, yes, I'll I'll take the swap, fair swap, you know. And uh, so I handed, you know, that short story to her and she read it and said, babe, this is really good and you need to keep writing this way. And I think, and it was based on a song. So the song came first in that one. song came first. Uh-huh. song came first. And then that story, it's actually the longest one in the book. It's, it's really novella length. It's about 12,000, 13,000 words. Mm-hmm. It's the story Sycamore Creek. It's the last one. I just read that last night. I finished it up. Oh, wow. Incredible. Thank you. So... You know, that set me on the pace of being able to do that, even while I was, in, you know, recovering. And you know, so I wrote another one based on a song. And then I wrote a third short story, and it wasn't based on a song. It was just 
a short story and I thought, well, hey, I could write a song to go with this mm-hmm. short story. And then, boom, the light bulb mm-hmm. hit. And I was like, I can make a record. Mm-hmm. And I can do 10 songs and 10 short stories. And so I literally started driving around and listening to songs I had written that I had thought were written for the record. And I go, if I can't find a short story in the, in, in the song, it's not going on the record. Mm-hmm. So that put me in, in a really different frame for how to communicate and how to write these short stories. Fortunately, I met Sherry Smith of Working Title Farm, who is my publisher. Mm-hmm. She is a great editor. She's a great author in her own right, an essayist. She writes nonfiction mm-hmm. really brilliantly. And she, she really held my feet to the fire in a way that I think Cindy, uh, Cindy could easily have done it too, but, but it, when it's coming from your wife, it's hard to hear. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but the real conclusion that got me to dig in deep and want to work with uh, Sherry was I had sent her a couple of different short stories, two or three, and she you know, left me a message and said, call me after dinner. I'm finally going to give you some feedback about these. So I went out my studio and I called her and she said, get your computer out and turn to page four, paragraph three. And I said, okay. She said, read that paragraph. And I read it to her. She said, Rodney, that's as fine a paragraph as I've ever heard off of any page, period. Hmm. And I said, wow, you can't tell me that. I know who you've read. And it scares me. And wow. she said, that comes with a caveat and it comes with a job if you really want to do this. And I said, okay. She said, first of all, why is it buried on page four, paragraph three? And I said, because <laughs> I buried the lead. I'm new at this and I don't know that I shouldn't bury the lead. She goes, Yes, but what you also don't know is you don't need those four pages. Oh, wow. You start there and you rewrite this whole thing starting from that paragraph. Which story was it? It's Bridge Club. Okay, Bridge Club. And uh, about the little boy. And she said, now here's the hard part. And I I said, okay. She said, if you can write one paragraph that pretty, you got to write them all that pretty. (laughs) There's the mark. I said, I said, it's a 3,500 word short story. Well, I guess, you know. And she said, yeah, that's the job. And she rattled off some second verse of mine from some song. She said, you've written some of the most amazing second verses I've ever heard in my life. She said, you have to write every single paragraph with the same intention that you do on every single second verse you've ever written, Reddy. And I was like, wow, this is a bigger hill to climb than I thought. And she said, yes, it is. But I think you can do it. So that got under my skin. It was hard advice to hear. You talked about hearing the truth. Well, that was the truth, and it was hard to hear, <laughs> and it scared me. And I was like, maybe, maybe I'm not cut out for this, you know. But I got determined, and I'd spent two weeks obsessed over writing that 3,500 words, and I rewrote it. Yeah. And then when I said I sent it back to her, and she goes, "Look at there, what you did." And and at that point. I started writing new stuff and then rewriting the other three that I had already written previously. Mm -hmm. I completely rewrote them. And on Sycamore Creek, as a matter of fact, she said, I think you need to go through it before I get my pen to it as an (laughs) editor. And I said, why is that? She goes, and this is after I'd rewritten it once already. She said, I want you to go through, said, I want you to try to shoot for it. You can go more if you want, but 
you try to find 2,000 words in that thing that don't need to be there. Oh. I want you to take stuff out that takes you out of the story. Yeah. Because it's a longer piece, and it is a novella, and you, you know, but you either need to add 50,000 words to it, or you need to take, and she said, I think it does need to be a book of short fiction. So I think you need to figure out how to lose a couple thousand words out of that thing. And it was good advice. I've, 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 I literally found more more like, you know, 4,000 words yeah, out of it. Yeah. You know, it's like not putting filler songs in an album when we used to make albums. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's thinking, you know what, that scene, the scene before it and the scene after it are better if this scene is gone. Yeah. It's just asking those hard questions, and it's hard to like cut out your children. You feel like you. Oh yeah, you got to. As Faulkner said, you know, you got you got to be willing to kill your darlings. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I absolutely love the book, guys. You got to check it out. It's called "For You to See the Stars." Uh, just look it up on Radney's website. Yeah, if you actually, if you go to RadneyFoster.com, it it will also be at your local bookstore. Um, if you cool. Have a, like, it's down at Parnassus here and there. Oh, cool, yes. And, but, um, you know, if you go to RadneyFoster.com, they come autographed. And, you know, that's always fun. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, we make a little more because we're the bookstore. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about how you gravitated towards acting. Speaking of the way sometimes when one, <laughs> one door closes in one direction, it opens in another direction or causes you to go explore in another direction. So tell me about that. Yeah, I I was in musical theater and in uh, regular theater in high school and in college, mm-hmm. you know, for fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Fun. So you had a little and, experience uh, there. You know, so I had a little acting experience. And in 93, I tried out for a part in a major motion picture and I got the part and then they changed their recording schedule their filming schedule and I had a deal with Jim Bean as as a tour endorsement and we had to do these special gigs it's like 20 cities and Bean was going to want all their money back and they were going to want a gazillion dollars in advertising if I didn't do it oh my goodness I wasn't able to act in the thing and then I they wrote a cameo for me to come in and just do one little scene and I came in for a day and I acted in it and then I ended up on the cutting room floor <laughs> so welcome to Hollywood Mr. Foster mm-hmm. and uh you know but my career my music career had taken off so much that I thought okay stay in your lane Radney you know and concentrate on one thing here because the Del Rio Texas record was exploding mm-hmm. you know, at the time mm-hmm. So I didn't really do much about it until I think it was in 2014. Cindy was like, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I want some acting lessons. <laughs> she goes, you got it. I said, I, you know, I don't know what's going to come of it, but at least if nothing else, the stories I tell from the stage will get tighter, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I can be a little more theatrical with how I, you know, propose things mm-hmm. in banter you mm-hmm. know, if, if, if nothing else I can learn something from it so I did and you know it led to little things coming along through my acting coach and when the Harry Potter plays came out mm-hmm. we did a a reading out at the Dark Horse Theater oh and, yeah wow which was really fun there's like 12 place. actors on stage yeah. you know reading all the different parts in accents you yeah. know 
you know, uh -huh. playing all the different characters, mm -hmm. reading the different characters, you know, it was really super fun. Well, one of the actors said, hey, I just got an audition notice, and I think you're perfect for the part. And so I said, okay, what is it? And so I saw it, and it said, aging country star has a, a breakdown and, a, you know, a crisis, and it's got a son who, you know, it was basically a synopsis of the play. He's got a son who wants to get out from under his wings, and there's all the father-son turmoil and etc. Mm -hmm. and a love interest and, you know, the whole nine yards. So I said, well, I'll audition for it. And then I found out Christian Bush wrote the music. So I just called Christian up and I said, hey, can I come try out for this thing? He goes, yeah. I said, well, it's on Wednesday. He goes, no, that's the cattle call. Don't come that day. We're gonna, you know, <laughs> there's going to be like 200 people trying to get the gig. He said, but we have like four actors that we've talked to that we'd really like to mm -hmm. to have try out for the part. So I went to my acting coach and said, hey, I'm going to try out for this. And we kind of walked through the scene that, that I had to use and who the character Billy Mason was. And I tried something really risky, but it's what got me the part. Um, I walked in in character uh -huh. and I didn't leave character until the audition was over. Wow. And then I was Rabbi. So they saw they, the difference. And they saw that difference yeah. too. Yeah. You know, I walked in and I, you know, I used the guy who was supposed to be opposite. His name was Pooch and uh, quite the character, a really comedic character in the play. And, you know, I said, Pooch told me I don't have to interview. You didn't tell me if it's going to be television or if it's going to be on the radio, but I'm here. What y'all want here? You know? <laughs> and they were like, oh my God. And Christian got it. Immediately, because he's heard my regular voice, mm -hmm. you know, and I walked in with the, the oldest guitar I have and the oldest case that I have. So uh, you really looked a, the part. And a family Bible and a string tie and a oh. suit, slapped <laughs> the big old Bible on the table and opened up the case. And there's a 1948 Martin, you know. Oh, my goodness. So it was fun. So I got the part. It's uh, The play is called Troubadour. Uh -huh. I think they were going to do it in a n another city trying to get... You did it in Atlanta, didn't Broadway. you? We did it in Atlanta mm -hmm. with the Alliance Theater, which mm -hmm. is a, you know, first rate. I mean, it's a Tony Award winning theater. They have sent many, many plays to Broadway. Mm. Um, Rent, The Color Purple, oh. you know, the list is long. Yeah, um, yeah. And Susan Booth was a great director. The cast were all really seasoned professional actors. You have seen them on... Stranger Things and oh, yeah. in, mm -hmm. in all manner of television and movies mm -hmm. that are shot out of Atlanta. Every one of them. Mm -hmm. And so I was the novice of the bunch and I learned a lot and they were really great to work with and I would love to do it again anytime. What a blast. All right. Well, you're a writer of books and, and uh, incredible books and music and actor. What's the funniest or scariest or weirdest story that you have of the road that you've been on? <laughs> you know, scariest is, was losing my voice. Oh, that yeah, really sure, was. sure. And, and I know that there's a lot of vocalists who are going to be listening to this, and I mm -hmm. want you to pay attention. It wasn't like they said, if you'll just do this for six weeks, and then you'll do 12 weeks of therapy after that, you're going to be fine. You're going to be 100%. You're going to be good as new. No one ever said that. Mm -hmm. I would walk into Vanderbilt Hospital and they said, you need to not talk for a week. And a week later, no, you still can't talk. Three weeks, no, you still can't. You get to a month 
Think about the mind bender that you get to a month and you're going, what if this thing never comes back? Mm -hmm. Sure. What if this never happens? And I'm living proof that it comes back if you do the work. Me too. You know, (laughs) and so that knowledge, I wish I could impart to any young person who's trying to be a professional vocalist, you know, or a professional in radio or a professional as an actor. Mm -hmm. I mean, in any capacity that, you know, those hills are going to mess with your head and keeping it on straight during the process and, and just find whatever it is. Mine became meditation. Mm-hmm. Being able to meditate for five minutes a day and just like, I am going to make it. I am going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, was a really big part of how I got through that. So, you know, when you when you lose your voice and you've got to come back from it and you're in Judy's room there, which is still one of the coolest rooms in the world. <laughs> realize and have that confidence. I'm going to get there. You are going to get there. It just takes doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yep. It really does. And you may get redirected because of it, but it's it's really all good. The hard places oh, yeah. become places to learn. Well, <laughs> to paraphrase an incredible writer, sometimes it has to get dark enough Gotta for you to see the stars. The stars yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All Thank right. You. Well, let's talk about a deeper subject. I think um, you'll agree with me that the village in those times become extremely important, mm-hmm. too, of real yeah. friends, not just the industry, but even if it's just two or three people or one or two people or whatever, you need someone around you that you can trust, will tell you the truth, but also has your back and, and is your biggest fan and your cheerleading section, and the whole thing. There has to be some kind of village around artists because artists are yeah. vulnerable to oh, yeah. all of the things that we can think up. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is that I have a handful of friends who know where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> really, the knowledge that You can run something up the flagpole with someone and they'll tell you the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. and and also I think sometimes having no people in your life. Yes. Having Having people who go, that's not a good idea. Yeah. That's a lousy idea. Yeah. You know. Having the the no people. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people who will keep you honest about things like that. I've got several. And the other is they're not always right. You know, run it by... It is good to have... The balance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the balance. I I also think keep that circle a little bit small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if you named off 25 friends, Mm -hmm. they're not 25 people that you would tell everything. Right. Not your deepest, darkest fears. That's probably not a good idea. But having a couple few that you could name on on one hand... Right. I agree. Those people are really going to become your, those are your real friends. Mm -hmm. You know, who do I call at two o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the morning? Mm -hmm. And you, you, you don't have time to, to, to dig the deep relationship with 20 people. Uh, Mm -mm. You you do have time for the five and then, then you have the concentric circles and all that. But another thing is people that mentor other people. And I know you do too. We need people that we can talk to. I have mentored a lot of you have of young artists. Yeah, can um, we can we uh, name one of them? Sure, because uh, um, Casey Musgraves yeah. used to be my background singer. Exactly. The the Randy Rogers band. I met those guys because they were opening for me. 
Yeah. Now they play, you know, basketball arenas. <laughs> Those have been really good relationships. I think one thing that that I've learned from it is the mentor needs the mentee just as much as the mentor exactly. needs the mentor. Exactly. And, you know, I learned something of- mm-hmm. from teaching. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know, and from guiding. Mm-hmm. And those feel like good moments to me, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I get something out of it too. And and the other is, is that, you know, it comes back around. You know, I did the first three Randy Roger band records and that's what got them signed to MCA and got the whole ball rolling and stuff like that. And they moved on to different producers and uh, and they should have. It was time to do that. That was that made sense. But, you know, here it is. It's uh, been a dozen years since I worked with them and I'm back. I'm working. I'm producing their next. Record. Oh, my goodness. That's great. So that's been really fun. We've cut half the songs and we're going to yeah. go back in in January and cut the other half. And I think the first single's scheduled to come out next month. So that's great. Um, Terrific. It's been really fun. That I've written so far. I've written uh, two of the songs that I think you know are going to go on the record uh, <laughs> with with Randy, and he's written some great songs with everyone else. I mean, they just yeah. really, really, really stellar songs. So, well, the last thing I want to ask you is, can you ever see yourself stopping the creative process? Oh gosh, no. Me neither. No, 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 yeah. no. I don't. I, think, I, I don't see that with I, you at I, all. I I can see. I can see things happen where you get to a, the age that you don't want to tour anymore. Sure. I still want to tour, still love touring, but I also... You don't want to spend 360 know, Here's a little secret to days out there. vocalists out there. It's like my days of leaving the house at 5 in the morning <laughs> to get on a 7 o'clock flight and play at 9 o'clock that same night <laughs> are done. <laughs> you know, I don't travel and then sing the first night. I travel the day before. Because it's easier on my body, it's easier on my vocal cords, it's a little more relaxed pace. You enjoy um, it then. Yeah, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm, at the, I'm at the place now, you know, our kids are grown, so Cindy can come out on the road with me mm-hmm. sometimes. Funny enough, she only wants to go to the really cool places. <laughs> she doesn't really care about going to Fort Stockton with me. I don't know why that the is. state fairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like, county fairs are not <laughs> county her deal, fairs. right? Yeah, so. New York City? Oh, yeah. 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 So pacing yourself is a really good thing. And, and and, you know, I have an agent. If I tell him I can sing four days in a row, he's he's going to book four days in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a good problem to have. Quality problem for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, But pace yourselves. Learn from it. I mean... Realize that your creative process and your creativity will change as you as you grow mm-hmm. in life. Holly Dunn, God rest her mm-hmm. soul, who I miss so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Our label made on MTM. You know, mm-hmm. uh, spent the last 10 years of her life living in Taos, painting. Painting. Painting beautiful paintings of birds. Wow. And, uh, and made a living selling them. She just, you know, retired from the road and didn't want to do that anymore and wanted to wanted to paint, wanted to use that side of her brain and creative process, and she became a New Mexico artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, it just goes back to what we were saying. It's, it's like, go through the windows of opportunity that are there, but, you know, check your, I guess your drive... Where are you driven to create and, and wherever that is, figure out how you can do that so your your inner muses 
is satisfied, you know, that you're, that you're using it. And then be excellent with whatever you're doing. And some of it will go on to commercial success, perhaps, but some of it will just be personal success. Sure. But I'll never forget the story of Van Gogh. You know, I, oh, yeah. Radney, I've come to the conclusion that if we are creating excellent things, whatever it is that we're doing, that they're valuable. End of oh, yeah. story, valuable. And I don't know when they'll be valuable or, you know, how many people they'll be valuable to, whether it's millions or four. Sure. But if we're excellent with what we're doing, number one, it's worth it. Number two, it feeds our souls as it goes on and feeds those who get exposed to that art. Yeah. So it, it's Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think one of the reasons that I'm expanding into different ways of telling stories yeah. um, is that I want the opportunity to face different challenges mm-hmm. oh. and, to, and to write music better and different so that I'm not just repeating myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the funnest things I'm doing right now that, that, and why you said, you know, quitting the creative process is just impossible. Um, writing a screenplay with my wife oh, cool. has been a oh. huge challenge and a great opportunity. <laughs> um, it's based on one of the stories in the book. It's been optioned. We're in development. I'm not surprised at Hollywood. all. Wow. And I've been writing the music to go with the the screenplay. And so... The soundtrack. With any luck, you know, it'll get made. And then I get to do the, the film score. And, <laughs> yeah. And this kind of becomes putting all together the words on the page side, the, the acting side, the... The music the, side. The music side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully becomes something that I can take some pride in yeah. to, and, and come to fruition. But even if it doesn't, it's been such a joy to collaborate yes. with her yes. for the first time because she's been a great writer her whole life. Wow. So it's been really fun. Yeah. Wow. Well, Radney, where can we find you and your work? I've mentioned your website before, but what is it again? Radneyfoster.com is probably the best mm-hmm. way to go. That's um, your hub it, for everything, isn't it? Yeah, I am on all of the usual suspects as far as streaming services are concerned, mm-hmm. Apple Music and, and Spotify both. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, most people don't do physical product, but like we've got fun things that are going on. Like Delrio, Texas, 1959 is going to turn 30 next year. <laughs> and we found in a drawer one of the old original, the very first T-shirt that we oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> that, that we printed. Uh-huh. And... My son, the oldest, is um, a graphic designer in addition to being a musician, and he took that and reworked the graphic so that we could reprint the exact same oh. t-shirt. And so we've got them for sale on the website, and it's really fun. I, I've had one person buy one and, and sent us pictures of herself in the one from 30 years ago that you know she still has, and it's all faded and beat up, and the <laughs> sleeves are cut off and all that kind of stuff. And then she had the new one. Yeah. So so it's been kind of fun. People can check it out. Great. All right. RadneyFoster.com. And Radney, keep in touch. I'm watching what you're doing, and I'm going to really look forward to reading the rest of the stories. Oh, thanks so much. And I I need to come take a lesson. Hey, um, I'm here. You know, I'm in your uh, back pocket anytime you need me. Well, that cell phone is. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. This has been a joy. Thanks so much. Great. Great. Great conversation, Radney. Good to catch up. All right, take Back care. You. you too now. <laughs> take care. That wraps up this episode. 
If you've enjoyed my chat with Radney Foster, I'd be very grateful for your rating and review. This is your host, Judy Rodman. You can find me at judyrodman.com. See you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers, and Texas legends. Right.